The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may God, the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, I consider him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you and all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Uh, this is our final sermon in First Peter. Uh, we have waded into the richness of this letter over the past several weeks. But I want to encourage you that just because we're coming to the end, uh, don't think that the richness is over. Uh, this, this passage of scripture is just as rich as the ones who have come before them. And uh, I think if I were to ask you, how would you sum up First Peter thus far? You know, what would you say is the theme? Uh, many of you may say that uh, the theme is standing firm in your faith in the midst of adversity or suffering. But standing firm, trusting in God. And uh, throughout this letter, we've seen that Peter has he's told us that you know, there are many adversaries in our lives. There are many people who uh, get in the way of us walking with God. And he has uh, elaborated on a few of those. And an adversary is, if you had to define it, it's simply uh, someone who's an opponent or an enemy. You know, someone who is trying to keep you from becoming a better person. And I think we've all experienced adversaries in our lives, haven't we? People who have you know, discouraged you, uh, people who have hurt you, people who have hated you. They just did not want what's best for you. And Peter has shared many of those types of people and scenarios in this letter. But he also tells us that we have advocates in our lives. And an advocate is someone who pleads your case. You know, they... They defend you. They promote your well-being. And so hopefully you all have experienced people like that. And you have people like that even today in your life. That will come alongside you and encourage you and, and promote your well-being and help you become the person God wants you to be. And so in every area of life we have both adversaries and we have advocates. And this is no different in the Christian life. We have both adversaries and and advocates. You know, Peter has told us that uh, there are several types of people or institutions or whatnot can, that can be your adversary. For example, he told us that uh, the emperor or the government can be an adversary to you. In other words, it can seek to get in between you and your relationship with God to keep you from pursuing Him. Uh, we saw that your master or your employer or someone who's in authority over you can be your adversary. To keep you from becoming who God wants you to be. We saw that even your spouse can be an adversary 
Someone who discourages you from seeking God. And even our own desires can be an adversary and keep us from doing what God would want us to do. And so there are several adversaries throughout this this letter that Peter writes. And after stringing together all those different adversaries, he introduces us to one more in chapter 5, verse 8. And this is what he writes. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he says, our adversary is the devil. And the devil is the great accuser of the brethren. He's a deceiver. He's one who seeks the spiritual destruction of all men. Uh, The devil is a fallen angel. In other words, he has the attributes of an angel and yet he is evil. Everything that he's all about is to seek to destroy the work of God. And as Peter is thinking about how do I describe how the devil works to these early Christians, his thoughts land on a lion. The metaphor of a lion. Now, why does he choose a lion? Uh, we probably do not have much experience with lions. I don't. See, I, I see squirrels, you know, in my backyard. Maybe an occasional cat. My neighbor's cat will run over there. That's as, that's about as close as a lion as I'm getting around here, as far as I know. But we've seen them in zoos, you know, we've seen them in movies and television shows. And so we could probably piece together why Peter would use this image. You know, we know a lion is strong. The lion is a predator. He prowls. And we can even see this with little cats, you know. They, they sneak up, they prowl, and they pounce. They have this, uh, what seems to be almost an insatiable hunger for their prey. You know, we, we see this image, too, of the, of the lion used throughout Scripture. For example, David uses this metaphor of a lion to describe his enemies that, that lie and wait for him. And then they seek to pounce on him, on him at the right moment to destroy him. For example, in Psalm 7, verses 1 and 2, he says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. And there are several other places in the Psalms where David uses this image of a lion as his enemy, the one who seeks to pounce on him to destroy him. And also in the book of Job, we see in chapter 2, verse 2, the writer of Job using this type of language, which is very similar to the language that Peter uses to describe the devil. Job 2, verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Satan, which in Hebrew means adversary. The Lord says to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. Now let me assure you of something. Uh, Satan was not out getting exercise. You know, he's not working on his cardio. That's not why he's going to and fro and prowling about. His job, his focus, or his agenda is to destroy, to devour. He's looking for someone 
to devour. And I think Peter, perhaps he's drawn from that metaphor that David uses. He's drawn from the language of Job. And he's explaining to those early Christians, you, know, you have an adversary and he is the devil. And he is prowling about like a, like a lion and he's looking to destroy you. In other words, he's looking to take you off the path that God wants you to walk in. He wants to intercede and try to throw you off and destroy God's work in your life. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, okay, you have this adversary, but he also tells us how to deal with it. How do we live in the face of these great adversaries that have been listed all throughout this chapter, specifically the devil? Well, I don't know if uh, you've seen this commercial, but uh, Geico Insurance has put out a number of commercials, but recently, the one that's been running for several months, there's this commercial where uh, the camera pans in on this lion. It's, it's at night, uh, and this, this field, this grassy field, you know, you see a tree and this big moon up there, and, and you see the lion, he's, you know, he's prowling. And then the camera pans over to uh, two antelope who are wearing night vision goggles, you know, and the lion's name is Carl. And then the, the antelopes are looking at the lion and they're like, oh, here he goes again. Carl, we can see you. We can totally see you. You know, you're the king of the jungle here. You know, you're, you're better than this. Have you thought about being a vegan? You know, <laughs> and so, you know, the, the camera pans back to the, the lion and the lion turns around and just kind of walks off. And it's a funny commercial, but I think it tells us a little bit about even what Peter's talking about. You know, the, the lion's strength is his ability to sneak up on its prey and pounce on it. But if the antelope have, you know, they have night vision goggles, <laughs> we see you. We see what you're doing. Stop it. You know, go away. And so Peter says, you know, you have an adversary. He's the devil. He's strong. He's sneaky. All he wants to do is destroy you. But here's what you are to do. In verse 8 he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Watch out. Be alert. Now you may remember, in a, just one verse earlier in verse 7, he says, you can cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. And that is true. And we need to do that. But that does not mean that you should not be active in your spiritual growth. Just because you cast your anxieties upon the Lord does not mean that you should not be sober-minded, alert, watchful for those adversaries in your life. But you have an active role in your spiritual growth as well. We must be sober-minded. You must be alert, you know, like those antelope. You must know that you got somebody coming after you. You have people in your life even, and even just the world itself, is going to be resistant to you and, and you pursuing the Lord and becoming who God wants you to be. There are going to be opponents. There are going to be enemies, chief of which is Satan himself. And not only do you need to be aware of this fact, but Peter says you need to resist him. In verse 9, he says, resist him, firm in your faith. I think the easiest way I can say this is, the only way you can resist the devil is to be in the company of Jesus. 
That's all we got. That's all we got. If you, outside of Jesus Christ, you do not have the ability to resist the devil. The only way we can be watchful, be sober-minded, be alert, and resist him is if we are in Christ. If we are in the company of Christ. Peter goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, the Christian uh, lives in a shared experience. Christians all around the world are experiencing the same type of adversity. Whether it be from the government, a friend, a spouse, a person, the brokenness of the world, or Satan himself. We share this, this common experience. And therefore he says, your brothers around the world are experiencing the same thing. And what that does is that gives us strength to be one another's advocate. Because you're not alone. You're not the only one experiencing adversity. And that gives us the ability and the strength to come alongside each other and say, I know what that's like. Let's let's link arms together and let's walk through this life of adversity knowing that God is going to use it for great ends and to make us the people He wants us to be. So as we seek to run this race, that God has marked out for us. We will face many adversaries, but we also have this superior advocate. This is what Peter says in verse 10 and 11. He says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, it's only through the grace of God that comes through knowing Jesus Christ by faith that we're able to endure and, and finish the race well. And to accomplish and be the people God wants us to be. And Peter uses four verbs to describe or to explain what our advocate, God Himself through Jesus Christ, is doing. The first one, he says, is God will restore us. He will will restore us. And this word is used to talk about the uh, the mending of a fracture. You know, Mark chapter 1, this this verb is used when uh, the fishermen are mending their nets. You know, fixing the tears in their nets. It means um, to supply that which is missing, to mend the broken, to restore that which is lacking or wanting. You know, as Peter's writing that, Peter Peter knew what it was like to fail the Lord. And he also knew what it was like to experience restoration. God's restoration. And now he's writing and he's saying, God is going to restore you. He is restoring you. I mean, is that, is that what you want? I mean, does anybody want to be restored to the Lord? To be restored to who we're supposed to be? Well, he says, if you're in Christ, God will restore you. He is restoring His people. The second verb that Peter uses is this verb, confirm. 
And what he means by this is that he will, he will confirm you, meaning that he will make you as firm and solid as granite. You know, he is establishing you. He is working on your foundation. He is like steel. Uh, through the fire of adversity, he's strengthening, he's strengthening you. He's confirming you. God is restoring, He's confirming, He's strengthening you, which is the third verb there. He's restoring you, He's confirming, and now he's, He says he will, he will strengthen you. you know, one scholar noted that no one really knows what his, what his faith means to him until that faith has been tried in the furnace of affliction. And I think what this tells us is that God will use adversity to strengthen our faith. To strengthen us. Not to crush us. That's not His goal. He's not going to allow that to happen. He will bring things or allow things into our lives that will strengthen us, not crush us. You know, he is not the destroyer. He is the restorer. And I'm sure some of us are facing some adversities this morning of all types and kinds. But we can know that God is in the midst of His people strengthening us, confirming us, restoring us. You know, one pastor said this. He said, uh, the wind will extinguish a weak flame. And you all know that to be true if you've ever tried to light a match in the wind. <laughs> it's very difficult. But yet at the same time, that same strong wind, when it, when it meets a great fire, what does it do? It stirs it up into an even greater blaze. And I think what we see here is that if your faith is in anything else other than Jesus Christ, it will be snuffed out. Adversity will put it out. But if your faith is in Christ then the wind of adversity will only fan it into flame into a greater blaze. So God's going to use adversity in your life and in my life to make us who He wants us to be. The last verb He uses is this word establish. This verb establish you. And this is very similar to those verbs that have gone before it. Basically, again, He's working on that foundation. He's firming up the foundation. He's laying that foundation. And as someone once said, he said, it is only when we have to meet sorrow and suffering that we are driven down to the very bedrock of our faith. Isn't this true? You know, when we face opposition or affliction or trial, that's when it causes us to evaluate and take a step back and wonder, what is my faith really and what's life really all about? The bedrock. And so the question is, what... What is at the bedrock of your life? What's at the foundation there? When trials come, when adversity comes, and that bedrock is unearthed, what's there? What is it? Is it Jesus Christ? I mean, is it, is it God you are trusting? Is it, are you going to Him for the strength, for the patience, for the perspective? Is He the bedrock of your faith, or is it something else? You will be able to tell as adversity comes. It will be unearthed and you will see it. And I want to encourage you, if there's anything else there that you see, let's turn from that 
and turn to Christ. Allow Him to be the bedrock of your faith. So our adversary is actively at work. He's trying to throw us off course. But yet we have an advocate who is allowing us, who's strengthening us, who's guiding us to run that race of faith. Now, we all know this to be true. You know, adversity can take you one of two ways. It can take you into a place of bitterness and make you very resentful. It can take you into a place of great despair. Or adversity can take you to a place of great trust in God. A Christian once said this. He said that if suffering is accepted in love and trust in the certainty that a father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear, then out of suffering there come things which the easy way can never bring. You know, if you're not in Christ, I can't guarantee you that suffering is going to bring about good in your life. It may take you down a road of bitterness and resentfulness and despair. But if you are in Christ, then we have the confidence that God has us in His hand, like Lisa mentioned, and that He will bring about something that is beautiful and good. He will not allow a needless tear to fall from your eye. Let us pray. God, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this wonderful letter that Peter penned several centuries ago and how it speaks to our condition even today. Lord, we recognize that we face many adversaries, but at the same time, we have a great advocate in You and what You've done for us through Your Son. God, we just ask that You would help us to cling to You, cling to Your promises in the midst of difficulty, of trouble, and that You would strengthen us and make us who You want us to be, that You would get the glory, that we would run to You in worship. And we trust You for that in Christ's name. Amen.